If you've got your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to go to uh, the New Testament book of 2 Timothy. Um, all summer long, uh, or all fall, I guess I should say, uh, we are spending some time in this book, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, beginning with chapter 1. Yesterday morning, a group of us uh, were walking around the Tipton Trails area, praying over neighborhoods, praying over homes, uh, praying over people, and uh, just having some conversations with folks and in whatever ways people wanted prayer. And uh, I was with a group, uh, and we came upon a house uh, where a young woman and her kids were out, uh, hanging out, doing some stuff. And she said, so what are you guys up to? We said, well, we're just praying uh, over your family and over the community. Is there anything we can pray for you uh, this morning? And uh, we, we talked to her a little bit. And uh, after some time, she said, so where are you guys from? And we said, well, we're with Faith Lutheran. We're the church that uh, worships uh, down the road uh, across from the old GE factory. And she said, oh, you're the church that worships outdoors. And I said, yep, that's us. We're the church that worships outdoors. And it's really fun to be able to talk to somebody who knows us as the church that worships outdoors instead of the church that's next to the trampoline park next door. So we're starting to establish, I think, I hope, a little bit of presence in the community. But we are not just the church uh, that worships outdoors uh, here on Sunday mornings, but we are also the church uh, that has, uh, I would say, a pretty good size online viewing congregation. And you wouldn't necessarily know that, of course, because we're sitting outdoors here this morning. Uh, but this morning, I just want to let you know that there are uh, probably dozens of folks joining us online. And, and I just happen to know very specifically uh, that we have folks joining us online from the Chicagoland area, from uh, Wisconsin, from Minnesota, from Michigan, from uh, Missouri, from Colorado, from Alabama, from Georgia, from Kentucky, from Tennessee, and from Texas. I know those folks are joining online this morning, so special welcome to you. Uh, and so isn't it wonderful to know that uh, when we gather on Sunday mornings, there's a whole other group of folks uh, who are gathered with, uh, with us uh, to worship Jesus. So special welcome to those of you. Uh, who are joining us online. Uh, if you're all in 2 Timothy now, uh, we're going to go ahead and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, for yet another beautiful day that you have given to us to worship you in your creation, in your sanctuary, in your holy place, God, that you have made so beautiful. God, we thank you for these uh, oak trees. We thank you for the shade they provide. We thank you, Lord, for all the ways in which you're moving and breathing in this world and in this community and in our lives. Heavenly Father, as we prepare to open your word this morning, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable, for you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, about four months ago, uh, my younger son, Q, and I uh, were hiking uh, 88 miles on the Appalachian Trail in uh, the northeastern uh, part of the United States. We were hiking uh, through Massachusetts and Vermont, and as we're uh, going up and down hills and trails and kind of all around through the forest, one of the things I noticed, uh, and we've hiked all different parts of the Appalachian Trail, but what was really unique uh, to this experience is that there were these rock walls, these stone walls, if you will. 
And wherever we went, uh, even in through the woods, we would see these stone walls. Now, these stone walls, the rocks uh, are, are a little bit bigger rocks. They're actually called two-handers. They're heavy enough um, that you actually need two hands to pick up a rock and carry it over to a wall uh, or to a pile. And this just goes on and on and on. And being an Enneagram 5, uh, I kept asking myself, who in the world made all these rock walls? And furthermore, frankly, why did they make all these rock walls? What's going on with all the rock walls around New England? And, and the interesting thing, I think, of course, is that it's not just the rock walls that are being used today, but there are so many rock walls uh, that are off in the woods that are no longer being used. They're, they're mossy, and they're kind of falling down, and they're just kind of uh, going back to the ground uh, slowly through the forces of nature. Well, what I learned uh, is that these walls were uh, constructed or put up about 250 years ago. Um, and uh, uh, there's about 100,000 miles of these rock walls around New England, which means uh, that that would circle the earth um, about 10 different times, there's, uh, or four different times, 400 million tons of rocks all over the place. And most of these rock walls today are really falling into uh, disrepair. And I can't help but think, I can't help but wonder if, if that's a metaphor for the world in which we live today. We spend so much of our time moving a rock from point A to point B, and then over time, it just kind of goes and fades away back into the earth. That our impact in this life and in this world is very short term. And I got to tell you, that really bothers me, this whole idea that we go through our lives doing these very menial tasks. Now, most of us do not carry around rocks for a living, but I think most of us can kind of think about the things that we do, the tasks that we do, how we spend our time day in and day out moving something from here to there. And in time, it's just going to go back and really have no influence no future impact at all. And so I want to ask you this morning, what are you doing in your life today that will still be around in 10 years? How are you spending your time today that will have some kind of lasting impact in 100 years? What are you doing today? How are you influencing people today that might still be going for 1,000 years from now? or 10,000 years from now. That's really the inspiration for this sermon series, leaving a legacy. Because I think we spend an awful lot of time moving rocks, doing menial things that really don't matter tomorrow to leaving a legacy. But there's good news. We can actually leave a legacy and so what we're doing over the next couple of weeks is we're spending time looking at this book, 2 Timothy. The Apostle Paul, he's about ready to be executed. He's just 60 years old. He's not an old guy. He's teaching, mentoring, pouring into his protege, young Timothy. 
And the letter of 2 Timothy is really about an older guy pouring into a younger guy. It's that passing of the baton. And as we think about this, here we are 2,000 years later, talking about the legacy of the Apostle Paul and his protege, Timothy. And so this, this story or this, uh, this teaching invites us to think about how we, we too, can leave a legacy, how we can make a lasting impact for years to come. Last week, we talked a little bit about the uh, mentor-mentee relationship and how important that is to be in relationship with others, to intentionally pour into other people. I'm not talking about fake friends like we have on Facebook. What I'm talking about is getting eyeball to eyeball with people, sharing a meal together, having coffee together, listening and pouring out our lives and really being real with one another. The operative word here is intentional, and it's all about relationships. And so that's a little bit what we talked about this week, uh, last week. And so this week, we're going to pick up kind of where we left off last week, but we kind of, I ran out of time. So I want to back up just a little bit and talk uh, more about 2 Timothy uh, chapter, chapter 1, and we're going to start with verse 7. Here we go. Paul writes this to young Timothy, for the Spirit of God gave us does not make us timid and fearful, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So here's Paul writing this letter to young Timothy, and be reminded, Paul has been shipwrecked, he's been beaten, he's been uh, bitten by a snake, he's been whipped. Over and over, Paul has experienced torture, and when Paul writes this letter, he's sitting in a jail for the umpteenth time, only this time, it's the last time that Paul will sit in jail in this dungeon, because he will very soon uh, be executed. So Paul says, in the context of all that I've been through in my life, all the hardship, all the suffering, all my experiences, he reminds Timothy, God does not make us timid and fearful, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And last week, one of the things we also learned about Timothy is his life had also not been a a, a cakewalk. Timothy was in over his head. I don't know if you've ever felt like you've been in a position in your life where you've been in over your head. That was Timothy most of his life. He just felt like he was struggling over and over again. He wasn't smart enough. He wasn't skilled enough. He wasn't capable enough. He didn't know the Bible well enough. He was really not very confident in his own leadership ability. And by the way, for much of the time that he was doing ministry uh, under Paul's uh, leadership, he was just young. He was just this young guy trying to do stuff. And so he was very insecure, and he was at a difficult church. He was at the church in Ephesus, which was a really dysfunctional, broken church. Lots and lots of hardship. And maybe most of all, as we talked about last week, one of Timothy's biggest issues, he had daddy issues. Timothy grew up in a household without a father, and that impacted him deeply. And so Paul, the Apostle Paul, became his spiritual father, and Paul poured into young Timothy. And he invited him to not be afraid, to not be timid. And in that moment, so much of life hung in the balance for Timothy. Was he going to live his life in fear, or was he going to live his life courageously? 
Now, how many of us here today, raise your hand uh, if you uh, ever experience uh, anxiety, if you ever experience fear, if you ever experience um, any kind of uh, struggle or hardship in your life, okay? Those of you who have not raised your hand are afraid to raise your hand, right? Because the truth is we all do. We all experience fear. We all experience struggle and hardship. But I think we're living in a day and time where fear has absolutely been amplified. And I don't care what your politics are. Politicians play on our fear and they peddle fear on all sides. And so we get these constant messages from the politicians. We get these constant messages from the media. Be afraid. Be very afraid so that we can take care of you. And so we get these messages over and over with fear in our lives. You know, some of the most prescribed medication today are medications that deal with fear, anxiety, heartburn, and stress. That's what, that's what our doctors are giving us today because we are living in a nation that is absolutely filled with fear. And I think the ironic part about uh, the, the, this idea of how, how medicated we are because we're experiencing so much fear and anxiety is that we are living in one of the safest times in world history, and we're living in probably one of the safest countries in the world. But we as Americans, we are absolutely obsessed with safety. We're just paying attention to what is going on all the time, and we're so afraid, and so we just obsess over safety. I think about when I was a kid. We weren't really fearful about safety so much. I mean, young people, when they go out on their bicycles today, they are wearing more equipment than the astronauts wear to the moon. When I was a kid, nobody knew even what a bicycle helmet was. We, wore, we were barefoot. We certainly didn't have elbow pads and knee pads and all the rest. I mean, and, and you'd get in your car. I mean, now when we, my wife and I were raising kids, there was these things called car seats. I didn't grow up in a car seat. I just wandered around the car and every now and then I'd find these metal things flapping around and I would jam them underneath the seat, right? Because they were just, they were in the way, they were uncomfortable. And I don't want to disparage the importance of safety and I think we absolutely want, seat belts are good, hear me out. Helmets are good, hear me out, these things are good. But the pendulum has swung so far from this place of we just kind of do what we want all the way over to the other extreme where we, it's, we practically bubble wrap our kids as they go out the door. I actually heard that there is now bubble wrap for adults. Have you guys heard this yet? There is now, they have now come out with bubble wrap for adults. It's much like a, uh, a, a crash thing uh, uh, where, where you fall down. So you can put on bubble wrap of sorts, get around, do your day. And if you trip and fall, there's a sensor in this and you actually will get cushioned. Uh, this is a true thing. This is a real thing. I kid you not. This is how obsessed we are with safety in our days. We don't even want to fall without having bubble wrap uh, all over the place. But here's the crazy thing. Fear is important. Fear is necessary. But I think the problem with fear today is that we fear the wrong things. See, we fear our kids and their safety when we send them out the door. The last things what moms say to their kids is, now be careful, right? That's what we say. Be careful. Is careful the most important thing we want our kids to hear? 
I want our kids to be careful too. But I also want our kids to be courageous and face what's going on in the world. So we're so afraid to send our kids out into the world, worried that they're going to fall off the slide or something, but yet we give them one of these and say, here you go. You're on your own. Folks, this is one of the most dangerous things we could ever put in our kids' hands. We are absolutely, I'm convinced, fearing the wrong thing. Sometimes we uh, adults, we fear these little blips in the stock market. Oh no, I'm going to lose some money, right? We think about these fears of our money and our finances, but we don't really pay attention or we don't really fear the teaching of Jesus when he says, it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven. You know he's talking about us, right? See, I don't think we're really fearing the right things when it comes to money. Or we fear what other people think about us. We're so concerned about what other people think and even say about us. But when it comes to God, we're like, oh, God will get over it. We don't fear God. Fear is not a bad thing. I just think that we are fearing the wrong things. Oftentimes we've placed a wrong emphasis. And so the apostle Paul says to Timothy, do not be timid and fearful. Verse eight. Um, so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or me, his prisoner. Remember, Paul's in jail. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So what Paul is saying here is don't be afraid. Yes, there are things you should be afraid of in the world. I have things I need to be afraid of in the world. You have things to be afraid of in the world. But let's be smart about what we're actually going to be afraid of. And here's the deal. We need to embrace this idea that life is about suffering. Paul says, join with me in suffering for the gospel. So in this letter, uh, 2 Timothy, it's only two pages long. This is actually a very short book in the New Testament, just two pages long. 14 different times the Apostle Paul talks about this idea of suffering. Let me give you a couple examples. Uh, chapter 2, verse 3, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. 2.9, I am suffering for the gospel 2.10, I endure hardship for the sake of the gospel. 2.12, if we endure hardship. 2.24, patiently endure evil. 3.1, there will come times of difficulty. 3.11, follow my persecution and sufferings. 3.12, all who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 4.5, as for you, endure suffering. It goes on and on and on. 14 times, Paul is just talking about this idea of pain and suffering and endure and hang on. Never once does Paul teach and preach and look at Timothy and say, it's going to be okay. Things are going to get better. God is with you. And your pain and suffering, they're going to subside. That's not Paul's teachings. That's preacher's preachings. Sever, never once does Paul say, as long as you are in this earth, on this earth, it's going to get better. In fact, he goes out of his way to say, it's probably going to get worse. Because if you are a Christ follower, expect suffering, expect persecution, expect hardship. 
Jesus' brother James, he talked a little bit about what this means. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. What James is saying is the same thing Paul is saying. There's going to be pain and suffering in this world. And you got to just live with it. You got to embrace it. You got to expect it. A few years ago, a, a professor, a Canadian guy by the name of Jordan Peterson, he wrote a book called 12 Rules for Living. If you haven't read it, I would recommend everybody to read that book. It's a fantastic book. And one of, the re one of the premises behind these 12 rules for life is this idea that we live in a day and time where we no longer expect suffering and pain. That we think life is supposed to be good, that we think life is supposed to be easy, that we think that life is supposed to be just plentiful and comfortable. And Peterson says, and he argues, one of the reasons why we are so stressed out as a world, because that's not your experience and that's not my experience. And he goes on to argue that the default uh, position of the human condition is pain and suffering. Always has been, always will be. That's what we experience as we go through life. And so if we stand at a posture expecting pain and suffering and hardship and good things happen, it's a much better, easier, uh, more hopeful way to look at the world. But if you stand in the world where you're, you're comfortable and you expect uh, good things to happen and, and plenty all the time, and that's not your experience, you're going to be stressed out of your mind and you are going to have lots and lots of fear. What's wrong with me? Why am I not experiencing all the nice toys my friends have? Why, why, do, why, why do I have health issues and my friends don't? Why do they have perfect kids and I don't? And the list goes on and on, right? Pain and suffering. That's the default of the human condition. So Paul invites us to not run away from it, but to lean into pain and suffering. Lean in to when those hard times come along. He says, when you do that, that pain, that suffering, that hardship, it will help to make you a better person. It'll make you a person of character. It'll mold you. It will, if, if you live into it and you lean into it, it will grow your integrity. This word integrity, I love this word integrity. It's actually a very old word. It's an ancient word. And it comes from this idea of when people were uh, buying and selling at the market and they had these clay pots. So if you wanted to make something for dinner, you needed a clay pot. And so you would go to the market and you would look at all the clay pots and you would hold up the clay pot to the sun and you would make sure that this clay pot hadn't been broken. And if it had been broken, oftentimes what people would do, because clay pots break, right? Is people would put wax on there and they would glue it back together. It was, it was kind of like super glue in ancient times, right? So this idea, this concept of integrity literally means without wax. That it's a bowl, that it's a piece of pottery, that it's whole, that it's complete, it's not flawed. So if you want to be a person of integrity... Without wax, 
You lean into the pain. You lean into the suffering. So how do we do this? I know this is not easy. And so Paul tells us, he says uh, in verse 9, Jesus has saved us and called us to live a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Paul reminds us in these verses here, you don't have to be able, you, you are actually not even capable to live a life without fear, a life of courage. The only way you can experience this is through the grace of Jesus. Not because of anything we have done, but because of what he has done for our purpose and grace. And I love this in uh, verse 9 here. Before the beginning of time, which is a reminder that Jesus was planning your life, every detail before the beginning of time. In other words, your life is more than just about you. Your life is more than just about you going about your daily life, but it's for God's purpose and how he is using you potentially to make a difference in the world. So in the midst of these moments of fear, these moments of anxiety, these moments of stress, Paul says, I want to invite you, rather than focus on your situation, focus on the cross. Because the cross, as we know, it represents a sacrifice, it represents suffering, it represents pain, it represents every imaginable, horrible emotion that we can even imagine. And Paul says, when you think about your suffering and your sacrifice, look to the cross and the ways in which God has poured out his own son for you. The one who holds the, the key to all circumstances of life. Verse 11 and of this gospel, I was appointed to herald, a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted uh, to him until that day. What you heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And so Paul is telling us in these verses to guard it, to hang on to the gospel, into this message of good news, this message of freedom, this message of hope, this message of life. Guard it. Take care of it. And as we think about things that we guard in our own lives, we only guard things that are valuable. We guard our loved ones. We guard our possessions. We don't guard our trash, do we? I mean, with our trash, we're like, okay, go ahead and take it if you want. I'm not going to guard that. Paul says, guard it. Because the gospel, that's how valuable it is. You need to guard it with all your heart. Because the enemy is speaking lies all the time whispering into your ear, you're not good enough. Oh, I know the people at church, they're good enough, but you're not good enough. If the people in your small group really knew what, what about your past, they wouldn't like you. Those are the lies Satan whispers into your ear. You can't be loved. You're not lovable. You're not capable. 
Over and over, Satan whispers these lies. And Paul says, no, guard your heart. Ignore the devil. Guard it with everything you got. All right, verse 15, uh, Paul, Paul goes on. You know that everyone in the province uh, of Asia has deserted me. Now you look at this and go, okay, come on, Paul. Everyone in Asia has deserted you, right? Now my wife might have on occasion uh, accused me of being, uh, of exaggerating just a little bit. Do you ever know someone that you talk to them like, everyone this, all the people do that. None of the people do this. You always say that. This is what Paul's doing. Come on. Every, there's a lot of people in Asia. Do you really think every single person in Asia has abandoned or deserted Paul? Paul, you're exaggerating. We have to be reminded this is what fear does. It exaggerates. It takes something as little as an acorn And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And pretty soon there we are in bed laying at night thinking about our whole life is on about ready to fall off a cliff, right? We've worked up such a narrative and it started out with something really, really small. And then it got exaggerated and it grew and grew and grew. And this is what Paul is talking about. Everyone in Asia has deserted me. And then he goes on to offer a couple uh, specific examples, including uh, Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the day, from the Lord on that day. You know how well, uh, how many ways he has helped me in Ephesus. Remember, Timothy was a young preacher in Ephesus. So what Paul does is, is, is he doesn't just say, hey, you know those guys? Those, those, those rude guys, those fearful guys. He doesn't say that. He gets very specific. Those two guys, Phygelus and Hermogenes, they were full of fear. He says, but not Onesiphorus. He took care of me when I was in jail. He wasn't full of fear. He was full of courage. Now, if any of you are looking for baby names today, I'm recommending Onesiphorus. He's the good guy in the Bible. Here we are talking about him 2,000 years later. Did you know that Onesiphorus is leaving a legacy to you and me as an example of someone who, who had every right to be fearful, but kind of pressed on through all that, who leaned into his courage? So I want to kind of pull this all together this morning uh, and reflect a little bit about uh, this passage and what Paul is saying to us. And I'm thinking mostly about Winton and Brady. You guys still awake? Awesome. Guys, I know this day is, um, it's a big day. It's a big deal for your families. I hope it's a big deal uh, for you guys as well. Because on this day, this, is, this has been your opportunity to kind of put a, a, a stake in the ground and say, hey, when I was a baby, I was gathered around baptismal font, parents were there, grandparents, sponsors, 
You, you guys remember your baptismal day? No. I guarantee you, your loved ones do. They remember it like it was yesterday. It's pretty important. And I can tell you guys that over the past many years, your loved ones, your parents, your grandparents, your sponsors, they've been praying for you for this day. For this day that you would put a stake in the ground, that you would stand up here and say, I believe in Jesus and I plan to follow him all the days of my life. And that's really what today is about for you guys. I hope uh, and your families continue to remind you of that in the years to come. That commitment that you've made to follow Jesus all the days of your life. What I hope you heard in our reading this morning from Paul to Timothy was this idea of suffering. That life is hard. Life is difficult. Life is filled with struggle. And along life's journey, you guys are going to experience different uh, times in your life where you're going to run into hardships, you're going to run into difficulties, and it's gonna be, you're going to be tempted to walk away from the church. You're going to be tempted to walk away from God even because there are things that are going to happen in your life that are not going to make sense. And you're going to be like, what's the point? I don't get it. God, where are you? Suffering is what it means to be a Jesus follower. I don't want to sugarcoat it for you guys. I want you to be prepared for, for when it comes, frankly. And sometimes the, the, the suffering and the struggle and the hardship are in the big things. But I will tell you, and I think mo most every adult here will tell you uh, as well, that's not the most difficult part about being a Jesus follower. You know what the most difficult part is? The day-to-day -day challenges. The day-to-day -day struggles. The day-to-day -day waking up and talking and having conversation with God. The day-to-day -day spending time in God's Word. The week-to-week -week getting out of bed, coming to worship on Sunday morning. That's what the hardest part of being a Jesus follower is. There are big challenges coming your way for sure. But I think the hardest part for you guys is to go through your daily lives walking with Jesus. And so I want to give you just a couple things to think about, a couple challenges for how you can lean into the pain and the suffering. Although it may not feel like pain and suffering, it may just feel like you're tired. So number one is I want to challenge you guys that every single day, spend three minutes, three minutes having a conversation with God. Every morning when you wake up, when you're brushing your teeth or, or getting ready or you're in the shower, whatever you're doing in your daily routine, hey God, good morning. Here's what's going on in the world of Brady Burkhart, the world of Wynton Carlock. Now God knows what's going on in your life, but just spend three minutes in conversation with God every single day and be consistent about it. That's going to help you to lean into the suffering and the challenge. Number two is read the Bible. I don't know if you guys have been reading through, uh, you two have been reading through the Bible, but many in the congregation have been reading through the Bible every single day this year for 15 minutes. I'm going to let you guys off the hook because you're a little bit young. I want to challenge you for every single day for the rest of your life to read the Bible for five minutes a day. Maybe it's just a couple verses. Just read something every single day. I think you will be surprised at how often when you're reading the Bible, it's going to speak to your condition and what's going on in your life, especially the Psalms. 
Read the Bible, you guys. It's going to be work. You're going to have to carve it out. It's gonna be, you're going to have to make some intention about it. But when you do that, it's going to help you in your daily life to grow in Christ. And number three, keep coming to church. Gather together with God's people on Sunday morning. Oh, I know you go to school five days a week, right? Baseball, football, Saturday morning. Sunday morning, come on, mom, it's my one day to sleep in, right? I got to get up early every other day of the week. That's what I hear over and over. I get it. It's hard. Being a Jesus follower is not easy. It's hard work. It takes discipline. That's why we call ourselves disciples. It comes from that root word of, of discipline. And you guys are both athletes, so you know all about discipline and what it means to really do the things you don't want to do. Pray, read the Bible, come to church, and the last thing, go on a mission trip every single year for the rest of your life. That's probably not too difficult for you, right? I know you guys like those mission trips. And I tell people all the time, when a person goes on a mission trip, it's like getting about a year's worth of sermons uh, in terms of life change and how that helps you out. That's one thing I know you guys love to do because you've shared that with me and you shared that with all of us this morning. So make that commitment. Go on a mission trip every single year of your life. Strive to come to worship every single week of your life. Read your Bibles and pray every single day. Does that sound like pain and suffering and hardship? Not too much, but it is. It's hard. It's hard. I think that same challenge is good for all of us, what it means to be a Jesus follower. It's not necessarily the big things that trip us up. It's the everyday disciplines those everyday things in our lives that we're going to battle against the enemy of the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have invited us to make a difference into tomorrow. For generations to come, maybe even a thousand years to come or 10,000 years to come, God, continue to speak to us, reveal to us the ways in which you are inviting us to pour into other people relationally. And God, when the pain and the suffering comes along, help us to lean in to the struggle, to the hardship, to the pain, to the suffering. Not because it's easy or good or fun, but because it helps us to grow into people of integrity and it makes us whole as you have called us to be. God, we thank you for uh, this example of the Apostle Paul pouring into his protege, Timothy. And God, I just want to dream with our congregation today that we too would be Paul's pouring into young people, that we too would be people who would create a lasting legacy, not for our sake, but for your honor and for your glory. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.